What's helped me is James, the brother of Jesus, points to this, Paul points to this, that all of our suffering in the hand of God is productive, without exception. Whenever there's suffering, it's producing something. In other words, God is never done when I'm in pain, when I'm suffering, when I am experiencing loss. He's going somewhere. Welcome to the Crossway Podcast, a show where we sit down with authors each week for thoughtful interviews about the Bible, theology, church history, and the Christian life. I'm Matt Tully, and today I'm talking with Sam Crabtree. Sam is a pastor at Bethlehem Baptist Church in Minneapolis, Minnesota, where he served for over 20 years. A former public school teacher, Sam also serves as chairman of the board of Bethlehem College and Seminary, and is the author of Practicing Thankfulness, Cultivating a Grateful Heart in All Circumstances from Crossway. Today, Sam and I discuss what the Bible really means when it says to be thankful always and for everything in passages like Ephesians 5.20. He explains why the topic of gratitude is actually more foundational to the Christian life than you probably think, offers practical advice for cultivating gratitude in the ups and downs of our everyday lives, and highlights how a belief in God's absolute sovereignty over all things connects to having a thankful heart in all things. Let's get started. Well, Sam, thank you so much for joining me today on the Crossway Podcast. Well, the gratitude is from my end, which is probably especially fitting given the the topic, but I really am, from my heart, I'm grateful for this opportunity, hoping that it will help your listeners, really help them, edify them, build them up, equip them, and that God will be pleased, that that he'll get more honor because of what we do. So thanks for giving me this opportunity, because that's what my life is for. It's what he put me on mm-hmm. this planet for, and you're helping me to fulfill his purposes for me. So thanks, Matt. Mm. Yeah, thank you so much. We feel the same way. Uh, and, and speaking of gratitude, uh, uh, in your book, you speak of gratitude as the place where, quote, life pivots. A uh, pretty big claim. Uh, pretty, uh, we, we all are familiar with gratitude. We all think about it, probably especially around the Thanksgiving holiday and uh, maybe big events in our life that are really encouraging and, and, and good. Uh, but you seem to be kind of raising the prominence of this topic of gratitude and thankfulness a little bit. So unpack that for us. What, how is it the place where life pivots? Yeah, thank you for asking that. I, I you're very discerning, Matt, in that you've picked up on on one of the major motivations for me to write this. I'm not just trying to teach our children to say thank you to grandma for the ugly sweater that she gave them for Christmas. <laughs> and there's a place for that. There's a place for manners and civility and courtesy. But uh, I really do think life pivots. Tremper Longman said, the real difference between a Christian and a non-Christian is that the former gives thanks to God. So I recently was interviewing a Chinese woman for membership at our church here. And she told me that before she was even a believer, before she became a Christian, she was just kind of listening and exploring the possibility. She came to the generalization on her own that the way she could tell Christians from others was that the Christians were grateful. Mm. It just overflowed from them. And so it's no surprise that somebody like Elizabeth Elliot would say that the surest indication of our trust in God is whether we're habitual complainers or habitual praisers. And that's like, oh, she just shot me in the heart with an arrow because I'm an American murmurer. I'm a grumbler. I'm a griper, complainer on the interstate. Wah, 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 poor me. 
of COVID. You know, we're so sick and tired of being sick and tired. Yeah. And um, she's saying that the surest indication of trust in God is whether we're a complainer or a praiser. So I think this pivot that you raised is what Thanksgiving or not does in our life. It's It's an indicator as to whether we are going to be God trusting or God accusing. It's a difference between whether at that given moment, whether I will give thanks or not is whether I will uh, incrementally ratchet it up in maturity, or I will nosedive a bit in immaturity because small children are not grateful. They're very demanding from the time they're born in the nursery. You know, you go to the hospital where babies were born, are born mostly in this country. And there's no baby in that hospital that is saying, thank you. (laughs) I'm just so pleased. They're crying and they're not crying about, you know, that other baby over there is wet or another baby over there is hungry. It's all me, me, me. Uh, I want, I want, I want, and I want it right now. And it's, it's immature. We're born immature, but we shouldn't stay immature. I think there's a pivot at, at the point of Thanksgiving. Something happens to me, and am I going to thank God because I trust him or not thank God? There's a, there's a pivot between humility and a, a sense of a spirit of entitlement. I have my rights. I'm fed up with this. I don't deserve this. And dessert is, uh, I think there's a plague on America with the word deserve. People think they deserve things and they deserve uh, what they call justice. You don't want justice. You want mercy is what you want. I think that thankfulness or not is the pivot between sweetness or bitterness. People who become old cranks are people who stopped being thankful for stuff. And people who are sweet have an ongoing, in fact, a heightened and deepened sense of appreciation for the benefits, the, the fountain, the stream of benefits that keep coming to us from God, the, the showers of blessing that are new every day. I think that the gratitude or not is the pivot between enlarged faith that, okay, God's been good to me and there's going to be more good coming, or hardness like uh, many many people are not christians today they're unbelievers and they're indicting god because they didn't find a way to be thankful trusting god in the difficult situation that they were experiencing at the moment they maybe asked him for something and he didn't grant them their desire they wanted their mother to survive her cancer or something and and she didn't she died and so they couldn't trust god that he was doing good even in her passing and if she's a christian she doesn't want to come back here you know he's still doing good to her he's not done with her if they don't think that god is doing good and he's infinitely wise in in her passing or the death of a baby my wife and i have lost two children if we don't think god is wise in that and doing good in that then we become hardened toward him and hardened towards other people. Hmm. Another pivot is the difference between wisdom and self-deluded folly. That's what it says in Romans 1. It says that they did not retain God in their thoughts, nor give thanks to him. Therefore, God gave them over. Thinking themselves wise, they became fools. That, that folly, that foolishness, 
is rooted in the fact they didn't give thanks to God when difficult things came into their life. One more, one more uh, um, contrast that that uh, soul pivots toward or away from based on gratitude is beauty or ugliness. Thankful people are way more attractive than people who are nitpicking and fault-finding and naysaying and can always find the problem and they can see the things that are wrong. And wasn't that a good sermon? Well, yeah, but he left out, you know, that kind of um, uh, failure to appreciate good is ugly. So, yes, I, I am trying to say in this book that Thanksgiving is not just a nice little caboose that you put on the end of your manners, but it is right at the core of whether you are moving towards God in faith or not. Hmm. Yeah, and I, uh, one of the things that stands out about uh, what you've just said is how theological this topic is. It's easy to think of it as just uh, uh, a state of mind that I'm cultivating personally that's just sort of about my own my own sense of the world and my own, maybe even my own uh, joy and happiness to some extent. But you're really stressing the theological significance of, of thankfulness, how it connects to God. And I want to get into that in a minute. But I, I guess one other thing you mentioned right on, early on is just how uh, thankfulness is a key marker of what it means to be a Christian. And I wonder if you can uh, press into that a little bit, because I think we see thankfulness, though, extolled as a virtue among non-Christians as well. There is a certain, uh, even in the midst of a very capitalistic society where, you know, there's sort of, it's almost cliched at this point to say that we're constantly uh, encouraged in different ways to be dissatisfied with things. And yet it seems like there is a lot of... uh, a lot of respect for the idea of cultivating gratitude and thankfulness. And then on the other hand, among Christians, I think we all probably would say, yeah, there are those Christians out there that I, that in my life uh, that I've seen who uh, seem like they're always thankful, and that really does mark them. But we can all probably think of a lot of other Christians who we would say, yeah, they're believers, but they do grumble a lot, and they are, they are constantly comparing themselves and, and upset. So how do you reconcile those two things? Yeah, well, I would say that the the believer who uh, um, exhibits a pattern of not being especially grateful has plateaued and maybe shriveled in their growth, and this ought not to be. You know, we should go, in the same way that we should go from milk to meat, you know, we shouldn't plateau in our spiritual diet, neither should we plateau in being indifferent or unawake or uh, unappreciative for things toward being appreciative and profoundly grateful and recognizing our utter dependence on God for life and breath and everything else. The fact that you and I can sit upright in our chairs here without drooling all over the place is God at work in us. So that I would say that at first about the difference between a mature believer and an, and an immature believer, a thankful believer and, an, and a believer that's not expressing thankfulness and gratitude as a pattern of his life. For the unbeliever, yes, I'm not. I don't want to make any argument against thanking people. We ought to be. We ought to be thankful to the grocery store clerk and and the everybody, the postman who delivers our mail and and everything. I'm all in favor of that. But behind that, theologically, God is at work. God of ends is also the God of means, and if the God of all heaven uh, has determined 
that I should be nourished in my body by vitamins and minerals and so on. He's also ordained that I need to pick up my fork and eat it. Similarly, if he's ordained that I get messages from Crossway, he's ordained that the postman deliver those messages that come in my mailbox from Crossway. So there's a God of ends and means. Now, the unbeliever who takes, he doesn't believe there's a God. He may even rejects the idea that there's a God. His rejection of God doesn't mean that God doesn't exist. It just expresses his blindness. In fact, Romans 1 would argue he's not only blind, he's suppressing the truth that he does in fact know is there. That that the God of heaven created everything and his invisible power uh, is manifestly obvious and you have to suppress that. And so he's doing some suppressing of that, whether he knows it or not. He might even deny that he's suppressing. He would suppress the reality that he's suppressing reality. <laughs> yeah. And so that's the world we live in. One of the puzzles for me, I will say, Matt, is what Jesus describes at the end of his Sermon on the Mount when he says, um, straight is the gate, narrow is the way that leads to life, and few, this is the word that I'm on, few there be that find it, but broad is the gate, wide is the gate, broad is the way that leads to destruction, and many there be that go in thereat. And I don't know why God has ordained that that be the ratio. Mm. Few find the straight gate, many go down the broad way that leads to destruction. But that's the world we live in. And what I've observed on the subject of gratitude in our culture, and I'll illustrate this through public radio, which I listen to. I have my car radio tuned to public radio often because of the music mainly. Um, At Thanksgiving time, they've had different people come on, and you can tell that they feel something and and they want to put words around what they feel and they there's this national holiday called thanksgiving and maybe what a feeling that maybe that's it maybe i feel thankful but they cannot bring themselves to thank someone mm. yeah and that's what thanks is you give thanks you give it to whom do you give it you can't just say well i feel thankful i it, to me, it's kind of like a an Olympic athlete who is on the balance beam, and they get all done, and they've made their score, and you say, what what is that event called? And they say, well, it's called the balance. And they leave out the beam, the, the thing that held them up the whole time. There would be no, there would be no event without the beam. And so I've heard different persons around Thanksgiving season, I just feel thankful for the cornucopia of vegetables and for the seasons and it's this general sentiment but it doesn't have an object that's right and and uh there there i feel all these benefits but i won't acknowledge the benefactor the one who gives the benefits and so there's a there's a short circuit there. There's a failure, even if they say thank you to the postman and other things. They haven't gone deep enough. They haven't gotten gotten to the bottom that God makes the sun to rise on the good and on the evil, and he sends the rain on the just and on the unjust. And until we give God the honor for the sun and the rain and everything else, life and breath and everything else, we haven't yet gotten around to being genuinely grateful to the one 
who uh, should be honored for all this stuff that he's doing. Mm. Yeah, and that gets to that theological foundation for gratitude, that ultimately it's rooted in in God and our relationship with him and what he has done for us. And I think it's really easy for uh, Christians in particular even to, to yeah, I, I am thankful to God uh, when he when he blesses us with, with good things like uh, a new child or a wedding or a job or a house or all these kinds of milestone events perhaps in our lives, uh, big and small, that, uh, that are uh, obvious blessings from God, it's easy to be grateful to him. But I think the tricky thing comes in, uh, you're taking it further than that, looking at some passages that would seem to suggest we should be grateful in, in more than just those positive things. And uh, so I wonder, help us think through that. You know, without, you've, you've already articulated a very high view of God's sovereignty, that, that he is in a very mysterious and yet real sense in control over every single thing that happens in our lives. Uh, but sometimes I think it can be hard, even for Christians, maybe especially for Christians, to then reconcile that with, does that mean I need to be thanking God uh, feeling grateful when hard things happen, when when he sends pain into my life? Well, you're very articulate. In fact, maybe I should be interviewing you about this because uh, <laughs> you, you turn a good phrase. Uh, my answer, short answer is yes. Um, if God is behind everything and he's infinitely wise and he's always good, then he is behind the things that feel painful to me that I didn't think up and I don't want because I'm not wise enough to be God. It's not very hard for most believers to fall back to 1 Thessalonians 5.18. It says, in everything, give thanks. In everything. Okay, I recently uh, had a punctured lung. I don't know if you can see on the screen here my uh, Mm. gizmo that I'm still recovering from some surgery. Uh, And I can be thankful I didn't have two punctured lungs. So that's in everything, give thanks. And that is in the Bible, and it's a legitimate thing that in a circumstance, uh, give God thanks for the stuff you didn't experience. Uh, we have COVID, but not everybody's dying like in the bubonic plague. This is not the Passover where somebody, a firstborn, is dying in every house. This is not the Spanish flu that killed 500 million, not just a million. So is that is that just the same then of looking for kind of the silver lining and thanking God for that? Is it thanking him in everything, but not for everything? I think, yeah, I think that that is another way to put it, Matt. I think that's well said on your part. But where I want us to go is that the Bible doesn't restrict itself to 1 Thessalonians 5.18. There is more. Mm. And it does say not only in everything, but for everything. In Ephesians 5.20 thing, always for everything. So there's a double emphasis there. Always. So there's no time when we shouldn't be thankful for everything. There's not a thing that we shouldn't be thankful for. Mm, yeah. And that really tests our faith. And we have to recalibrate our thinking, like how can God be good when the baby dies, when there's a hurricane, when there's financial loss, when we have a terrible disease, when the church is split, when there's all kinds of problems that are... Um, that rob us of our sleep and and affect our health and fracture our relationships and that sort of thing. But it's very clear that God does not back away from his sovereignty in and through and about everything without exception. He repeats it in in places like 1 Corinthians 4, 7. What do you have 
that you did not receive. And if you received it, why do you boast as if you did not receive it? Uh, so it, he's behind everything. And one of the ways that's helped me to think about this and to, to bring my heart around to thinking, okay, God, I can trust you when life is hard. And I haven't had the difficulties that many of your listeners have had, but I've had my share of, of uh, difficulties, to be sure. What's helped me is James, the brother of Jesus, uh, points to this. Paul points to this, that all of our suffering in the hand of God is productive without exception. Whenever there's suffering, it's producing something. In other words, God is never done when I'm in pain, when I'm suffering, when I am experiencing loss. He's going somewhere with this loss. So I could use a little example. I just had a punctured lung. I was in the hospital for four days, couldn't breathe for three days. And while I was there, it occurred to me that this is part of what Jesus felt when he was on the cross. He couldn't breathe. It's hard to breathe during crucifixion. And so while I'm in the hospital struggling for breath, uh, uh, I was communing the fellowship of his sufferings, we could call it. Well, that's a benefit I wouldn't sign up for. I wouldn't walk up and say, hey, please puncture my lung so that I can fellowship with Jesus. <laughs> but when it happens in the infinite wisdom of God and my lung was punctured, he was going to bring me into a, a dear communion with his son that I wouldn't otherwise have experienced. And he, he wastes nothing. So here's what James says in his first chapter. Count it all joy. Whoa, stop right there. Count it not just, well, it's tolerable, or, well, I'll look for a silver lining in this crummy situation. Count it all joy, brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know, and that's the question for Sam Crabtree, do you know this, Sam? Do you know what he says you know? When you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces, there's the word I'm going after here, produces those tests of my faith are productive that's how the crop is produced by that plowing work that he's doing in my heart and in my life your faith being tested produces steadfastness and let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete lacking in nothing now most of us would say well we'd like someday to be perfect we'd like to be complete we'd like to be lacking in nothing but we don't like the conduit we don't like the route to get there, which is all kinds of trials. And God, the God of ends, that I would be complete, like Jesus, Christ-likeness, is the God of means. And the means he's going to get me there is through trials. So you take, for example, most people would like to be a patient person. Well, the only way to become patient, and I'm not talking about no, having an intellectual knowledge about patience or being able to write out a, diction, a dictionary dif definition or write a dissertation on patience or something, but actually be patient. The way to become patient, the only way in this life, is to have something to be impatient about. Hmm. Or, or most people would like to be merciful. They'd like to be forgiving. Well, the only way to be forgiving is to have something to forgive. In fact, I'll, just a little sidebar here. Uh, to me, that's one of the explanations of why did God invent a world in which there was sin? Well, it's because he's massively merciful, and there's no way he could show it. 
if he didn't invent a universe in which there's something to forgive. So we don't, we want to be merciful. We want to be forgiving, but we don't want anybody to sin against us. We don't want anybody to wrong us, to harm us, to do us dirt. Well, I've got to be offended by somebody if I'm going to grow in being merciful and forgiving. So the completeness that James is talking about arise in my life through trials. Paul says the same thing in Romans 5. He says, not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings. There's that same thing that James was saying. Rejoice in sufferings, knowing, same thing James says, do I know it? Knowing that suffering, and here comes the word, produces, produces endurance. Endurance produces character. Character produces Hope produces, produces, produces. How does all that productivity come into my life? Suffering. God isn't wasting my suffering. So I can be thankful. In, in, in 40 years of pastoring, I've interviewed a number of people who are in very painful situations, very hurtful circumstances. And when, they're, when it's far enough in the past, and I can ask them, well, did you gain anything through that intense suffering? The answer has invariably been, well, yes, just priceless benefits came into my life through the difficulty that I experienced. I don't want it. I don't want my loved ones to suffer like I did. But man, God had good things in store for me when I suffered through that suffering that he appointed. So there are benefits that come to us from the suffering that God appoints. It doesn't mean we're masochists or sadists and we go around trying to hurt ourselves and hurt other people. We don't. Christians try to fix pain. But in a fallen world, pain is inescapable. There's just going to be some. And until Jesus comes back and makes everything new, what are we going to do with the pain? Well, we need to thank our infinitely wise God for using it to produce. He's producing Christ-likeness in us. So what does it look like then with that, with that in place to be thankful in all things and yet lament uh, difficult, sinful, painful situations that we face. Yeah, I, I mean, most of us would say, well, I don't want to be a grumbler like the children of Israel in the in the wilderness who were grousing at Moses and Aaron. And, um, we don't want to be grumblers. So I, we used to have a counseling pastor at our church. He's now deceased, Tom Eckblad. And I came to him one day with the question. I said, how, how can we just objectively recognize that there's a lot of misery in our lives without complaining about it. Mm. I mean, it's a negative report. I can't, and without batting an eye, he went to Romans 8, where he said, um, all creation is groaning the pains of childbirth together until now. And we're groaning with all creation the pains of childbirth until now. So you ask a woman who's in the middle of childbirth, how's it going? Well, she's not going to say, oh, it's just great. It's fun. You know, <laughs> can't wait for the next time. Uh, she's going to say, oh, it, she's groaning. But the Bible also says she doesn't regret it and she wouldn't trade that child later. I think the King James says, for she hath gotten a man child or something like that. Uh, <laughs> she's saying it was worth it. If I, if someone came up to me and said, now I can remove all your pain, but you don't get to have a baby. You don't get to have the child. What do you want? Do you want the baby or do you want pain free? Most women would say, I want the baby. I want the baby. It's worth the pain. 
And so that's one way to think about it. We can com- we can register that something's not quite right and it needs to be fixed. That's why Christians we we uh, we dig wells because people are suffering. We we grow crops because people are suffering. We teach literacy because people are suffering. We build clinics around the world because people are suffering. I uh, just a friend of mine is doing surgery now in Egypt. He does. Uh, specializes in cleft palates and just utterly changes the lives of these children, well, and a few adults even, with cleft palate situation. We try to fix that suffering. We try to fix that suffering. But even in the lives of those who have cleft palate, God is not wasting that suffering. He's producing, mm-hmm. producing, producing, relentlessly producing stuff, some of it which we see and some of it which is yet to be seen. Mm. Well, that's a really helpful uh, nuance, because I think sometimes we can confuse gratitude and thankfulness, in particular in the midst of uh, difficult trials or suffering, with complacency or apathy or just, uh, I, this is the way it is because God ordained it this way, and therefore I don't, I don't need to, nor maybe should I do anything to change things. So how do you personally even figure that out because sometimes you know we're we're facing something that we we don't like we're dissatisfied with in our life and we want to be grateful to God for that and yet we also want to know you know I don't like my job and should I pursue a different job now uh, because of that how do we balance those things yeah well when you say you know how do how do you figure that out you don't assume that I've got it all figured out <laughs> but uh, I'm taking a stab at it with my life if I I just feel like I don't feel being grateful. I do take some hope in that I want to feel what I don't feel. Hmm. There is a desire to be grateful when I'm not. If I don't even want to be grateful, um, I probably should um, fear. I should probably be very concerned at that point. Um, But the person out there who says, I'm not very good at gratefulness, but I want to get better at this, that's a very good sign that God's grace is already at work in that person. Yeah. Um, and and so at that moment or at any moment, a person can ask God for help. Help me be more grateful. I'm not grateful for this. I This mess that I'm in right now, and I don't see any end. I don't see any light at the end of the tunnel. It looks like this is, I'm going to carry this problem to the end of my days. And there are people in marriages like that or people with rebellious children like that or snarky parents uh, that just look like I I can't fix it and it doesn't look like there's going to be a fix, ask God for help for your own heart, that he's not wasting this situation. Second, um, this is a, a little more heavy, is warn yourself of the consequences. In my own case, I regularly warn myself, Sam, you don't want to be an old grump, do you? Do you? Do you want to be that grumpy old guy? Do you want to be that Ebenezer Scrooge guy? No, I don't want to be that guy. Or I don't want to discover, like the prodigal son who took his inheritance for granted, that, you know, I've asked many people about that parable. What do you think was his problem, the prodigal son? And some say, well, he was greedy, or he was impetuous, or he was immature, or he was lustful, or whatever. Jesus tells us twice in that parable what his problem was. He was dead. Even while he was partying, he was dead. Mm. The father says, this, my son was dead. When, when the son turns and comes back, my son was dead, but now he's alive. So when he turned 
away from the father, he was dead. When he turned toward the father, he was alive. And when the father later explains it to the older brother, he says, your brother was dead, but now he's alive. I need to warn myself about deadness in my heart. If I am not grateful and I don't care, I don't care if I get grateful. Ooh, watch it, Sam. Watch it. Hmm. You're in a, in a perilous situation there. And then one of the ways to, to become grateful, I think, is to think about his what the Bible calls his wonderful deeds for men. He's done wonderful deeds, even in my life and in, in the lives of those that are in the Bible. He's done wonderful things. And to rehearse those things. Uh, another way to, to become grateful if I'm not quite grateful, and this is the reason to go to prayer meetings, is to say amen to the gratitude of other people. Somebody else sees some good thing and they say thanks to God for it. I go, hmm, good point. Yep, amen to that. Yep, that's right. God did that good thing. I wasn't thinking about it, wasn't on my mind, wasn't on my heart, but it is now. So I'm growing in gratitude because I'm spurred on by the gratefulness of other people. And then and then another way is, and you're asking a good question, Matt, consciously practice it. Practice thing. You can get up in the morning and say, I'm going to do it. We had a, a student in our church, Brittany. Her name used to be McCoy. She's married now. In fact, she was, incidentally, she was captain of the University of Minnesota Golden Gophers basketball team. <laughs> and she made a, a practice of every day she would, on her phone, take a picture of something that she was grateful for. And she would send me some of these pictures. Okay, that's a discipline. And you can just decide, I'm going to get up in the morning. I'm going to be grateful for something today. And then you go on the hunt for what it is. And so there are ways that you can grow in gratefulness if you think you've, you've plateaued or you're, you're dry. Yeah. Well, that, that brings us back to the title of the book, which is Practicing Thankfulness. And, you know, one way to read that is practicing in the sense of just doing it, making it a practice of your life. Uh, but the other way, the other meaning that we could read into that is practicing in the sense of that slow, hard work of steadily working to improve in that way, and that over time, we, by God's grace, will will be better at being thankful. So I guess I wonder, as you think about your own life, have you had to, or what does it look like for you to practice thankfulness? And get practical. Are there specific things that you do on a regular basis? Uh, you mentioned uh, this, this person that you know who took pictures every day. Are there things like that that have been helpful to you in your own pursuit of thankfulness? The thing that jumps to my mind first is I try to thank with specificity. I, I try to thank God for something I've never thanked him for before every day. Hmm. For example, I I recently had surgery on my shoulder and I was learning from the surgeons as they told me what they were going to do about these little little tiny ligaments that are in my shoulder that have these big long latin names <laughs> and and I'd never thanked God for those before. I didn't know I had them. I didn't know they were in there. <laughs> and they're tremendously helpful to me. And he gave me a matching set, one on each side. And I'm glad for that because now that the one on this side is no good, the one on this side's doing all the work. And, um, you know, and I could, you know, typing on my laptop with one hand only kind of a hunt and peck thing is a person could complain about that or be thankful that when I lost one hand, oh, God already gave me a backup and I never asked for it. <laughs> well, thank you, Lord, for those little tiny ligaments that are in there. And I forget the names of them already. Um, 
when I when I am asked to pray at a meal, a mealtime, I just don't say generally, thank you, Lord, for this food. You know, rub-a-dub-dub, thanks for the grub kind of thing. But look at what's there and say, Lord, thank you for those Idaho potatoes that have been mashed and mixed with milk. Thank you for the cows that produced that milk. Thank you for the sun that produced the grass that those cows ate. That, you know, I'm, I try to get into the specifics. If you've ever eaten an apple, they're not just red or green. They're, they have these little subtle stripings and little polka dots and little dimples. And there's this little stem on the top. And this is, I marvel at this. That whole apple, all that's in that apple got there through that little tiny skinny stem there. And God did that sucking all that stuff in there by photosynthesis, this amazing process that we're still struggling to understand how in the world it works, that God draws up nutrients out of soil, mixes it with air and water and sunshine from 93 million miles away for our stomachs. This is just amazing. Mm. Well, I think it helps my heart to be grateful, not just, you know, thanks for the food, but what God went through to get that apple Mm. to my stomach. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's so good. That's so helpful. All right. Well, one last question. At the end of your book, you list a hundred ways to be thankful. And so I wonder, as you think about that, how, how did you go about creating that list? And then what are maybe a few of your favorite ways that you, you listed? Part of it was that I, I prayed in writing the book that God would help me make it practical for people, that it's not just another product to sit on a shelf or something like that, but that people would find it useful. And I thought, well, to make it useful, maybe I should give some practical tips at the end, even though I want to be careful not to create a kind of a checklist mentality or, or a legalism that, well, I've done all the things on the list, so I must be a good Christian. Mm, yeah. That's not the point. If if your heart, and and that's really where gratitude comes from. It's a divinely given spiritual ability to see grace and then the corresponding desire welling up in the heart that says, I want to affirm it and I want to affirm the giver as good. So I wanted people to who feel like I want to grow in this area, but I need some some jump starters. I need I need some some something that may get going. I thought, well, I'll put some ideas in the back of the book that maybe they'll find helpful to get off the dime. One of the things that's very helpful about um, practicing thankfulness is when you practice it, you intentionally or not, you shove some negative things out of your life. Like, like, um, like in Philippians where it says, um, let your reasonableness be known to all the Lord is at hand. Be anxious for nothing, but with prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, with thanksgiving, make your request known, and the peace of God will that passes all understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. All right. People who are being thankful are not being anxious. You can't do both at the same time. You can't be thankful and be envious. You can't be thankful and be uh, malicious towards someone. It just so you and you can't, you know, here's a person who's depressed, and you say to him, Don't be depressed. That doesn't work. You can't just stop being depressed, but you can say to them, well, let's, let's find some things for which you can be thankful. They can do that. You can just decide, I'm going to be thankful. And what happens to the depression? Well, it gets pushed aside, at least for that 
time that you're being thankful. So that's part of what the motivation was to create a list for people. You can just do it. You can just look into the back of the book and just say, I'm going to do some of these. That's so helpful to have a, a guide. You know, if, if you're struggling in this area, to have someone help, as you did, even with that example of the apple, to kind of walk us through, here are all the things uh, that make that so incredible and make that a good gift from God. It can be really helpful to have that practical help. So yeah, which what are some of your favorite ones that you you listed there? Well, one of the things I like to do because I put myself, you know, it's the golden rule, do unto others as you would have them do unto you kind of thing. I like to affirm lots of other people, thank lots of other people in writing, put it in a note. And uh, so one of the things that I do on Sunday mornings, at least I did before COVID, when we had um, printed worship folders, which we don't pass out now because of the possible possibility of contagion, but is I take my worship folder and I have a pen in my pocket or in my hand. And when I see things that are going on in the worship service or between services that are so commendable, I just make a little note that I should, I should thank Hannah Smith for pay, playing the chimes so well during that one song. And then Monday morning when I get to the office, I write a note to Hannah thanking her for all the work that she must have done to rehearse, to practice those chimes, to make it fit so well in the worship service. And by expressing that thankfulness, and I, if I thank Hannah or whoever, it's usually, you know, thank you for doing that in the strength God supplied. Hmm. In other words, God helped you play those chimes yeah. so well. He get the honor they get some thanks along the way, some borrowed thanks, and they can pass that on to God in their own worship of him. I love doing that, and I think it, it, it's uh, morale-boosting for them. It's good for the whole climate of the church. It's good for people to know that their pastor is affirming stuff that they're doing and appreciates what's going on and take it for granted. Um, so I, I'm a note writer. I, I put several notes in the mail today to people. So you do physical, physical notes, yeah. not like an email. Yep. Yep. Well, I do emails too, but I I have heard from parents of children who a year or two later they still have some note that I sent them, hmm. wow. and it's sticking on the bulletin board in their bedroom. And I just I I hope that that's uplifting. That's why it's there that that they feel appreciated. And so I like to appreciate what's appreciable. I like yeah. to commend the commendable. That's so good. Well, Sam, thank you so much for joining us today, and we, we are grateful for your help by God's grace in helping us to be more grateful. Well, I'm grateful for the opportunity. Crossway has been a, a great partner in this uh, project and other projects, and really, you guys are very classy in how you go about things, and I do appreciate that in the strength that God has supplied you. That was Sam Crabtree on Gratitude in the Christian Life. For more, be sure to check out his book with Crossway, Practicing Thankfulness, Cultivating a Grateful Heart in All Circumstances, available online or at your local Christian bookstore. For more interviews like this, subscribe to the Crossway Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite podcast player. If you enjoyed this episode, leave us a review, which helps us spread the word about the show. Crossway is a not-for-profit Christian ministry that exists solely for the purpose of proclaiming the truth of God's Word through publishing gospel-centered content. Visit us today at crossway.org.